And so I don't know what's happening in your life today, but I know that God has given me a very clear mandate today to tell you not to give up. So as we dive into that, let's first start with our mission statement. What are we here to do as a church? We're to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thank you for being a part of our services, and thank you for being that kind of church that is known as the place that you can come and get your life put back together. I love that about our church. That's who we are. And so if you're watching us on social media right now, if you're watching us by way of YouTube or online, and you say, well, whenever I get my life together, I'll come to church. No, that, make, that makes no sense. You come to church to get your life together. That's like cleaning up before you take a shower. The shower is what cleans you up. God's house is where he cleanses you and makes you new. Just come as you are, and God will do all the renewing when you get here. Does that make sense? That's part of the process. It's okay. And so I just want to encourage you with that. So as I dive into Scripture today, I want to tell you something about Paul. Paul walked with God. He knew the Lord. He walked with Him. He shared his faith everywhere he went. But that does not mean his life always went well. I think we have this tendency to believe that somehow, well, if I just put all my trust in Jesus, then everything will always go smoothly. It's just not the case. You can be trusting the Lord and have everything fall apart. And that's exactly what happened to Paul here. Paul is preaching the word in about Acts chapter 25 in the scripture, and uh, he gets thrown in prison for it. So he's done nothing wrong. He's just preaching Christ, but they're saying it's an insurrection. He's stirring up the community. So basically, if you're popular, you're going to jail, apparently. That's what happened to him, is that he, he was, they were saying he was an insurrectionist when really all he did was preach the gospel and people were being saved, but they were angry because the Jewish priest didn't like the fact that they now had competition. And so they threw him into prison and they, 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 when they did that, he appealed to Rome. What that means is that he was a Roman citizen. That was actually um, something that was not easy to get, to get a Roman citizenship. It was very expensive. He was born with it, but that's very rare. And so because of that, he could appeal to Caesar, and they would have to send him to Rome to stand trial. Instead of being in a very biased court where he obviously was going to be, they, they threw him in prison with really just straight-up accusations and no evidence of anything. So he thought, if you guys throw me in, in prison with no evidence, and there's no telling what you'll do in a trial. So I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And also the Lord told me he was going to go to Rome anyways to, to witness to Caesar and to those in Rome. And so he ends up kind of in a big legal mess. So here's what happens to him. At this point, they throw him on a boat as a prisoner. So now he's, he's on a boat as a prisoner, and, they're, and they're, they're trying to sail to Rome. They end up stopping a lot of little islands along uh, in the Aegean Sea, which is along basically Greece, Okay. And so they end up on all these little islands because the storm hits them and they barely survive. When they're actually, they're not even to Rome yet, they, they're about halfway there, they actually, the ship breaks apart. They barely make it to shore. It's, it's a crazy story. You should read the whole thing. It's Acts chapter 26, the end of it, and all of 27. But I just want to highlight, because I don't have time to read the whole thing, I want to highlight what happened to them because maybe you'll find yourself one of these things has maybe happened to you recently. And so here's what happens to him. He's falsely accused. He has legal battles. He gets detoured. It takes him longer than he thinks to get where he's supposed to go. You ever been there? You know, so he's on this detour. He's on plan B. He's disrespected by the captain when he says, Captain, I think this is what we should do. The captain says, who do you think you are? I'm not going to listen to you. You're just some lowly prisoner. He's like, what? So he is blown off. He's ignored as well. And so he tells him, I think if you go out in the storm, I, th I think there's a storm coming. I think we'll be in a big mess. And, oh, we'll be fine. I'm the captain. You're not. Well, guess what? They end up in a big mess. So Paul was right, basically. And so uh, they also decide they're going to abandon all the prisoners and just jump ship. All the sailors like, leave the prisoners. We'll go. So they're going to leave them locked up with a ship going down. And basically means you're going to die. You're going to die. And so that's where they're at. And, and they end up experiencing great loss. They keep throwing all the cargo overboard. They eventually throw all their gear overboard. This means everything, they, all, all the Paul stuff, up oh, too heavy, throw it all overboard. He's like, are you kidding me? 
So, so he's experienced great losses. Let me just ask you, have you experienced great loss lately? Something you really cared about? Someone you really cared about gone? Maybe you've experienced great loss. Maybe you, you felt disrespected or ignored at work. Maybe for you, it, 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 you, you feel like you're on a detour. This is not how my life is supposed to go, Pastor. This is not where I'm supposed to be in life. I thought I was going to be here and I ended up there. Maybe it's taking too long. You thought the promotion would already happen. You thought there'd already be a ring on your finger. You thought you'd already be married. You thought you'd already be pregnant. You thought you'd already have something in your life that hasn't happened yet. Maybe you're frustrated right now. This wasn't how it's supposed to be. Paul can relate to all that. Paul goes through all that and more. He is in the storm of his life. And I believe that when you're in the storm of your life, God wants you to know this. Don't give up. God is still on the throne. He can still be trusted. He knows what's going on. He is there for you. He has still got you in the palm of his hand, even in the midst of the chaos. Don't give up. God is with you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Before I go any further, I want to stop and, and read a story because youth camp just happened. They just got home and uh, I'm so excited about what God did. And just so you know what God did, let me just give you some numbers. 914 students went to camp. That's an incredible amount of students. 237 of those students accepted Christ as their Lord and their Savior in the last five days at camp. That's incredible. 107 of those students rededicated their lives to Christ, and 134 students got baptized at camp in the last five days. God just moved powerfully. That's why I'm not going to let the devil distract me, because God's moving powerfully. And so I just want to encourage you, when God does his greatest work, the devil also will throw everything at you as much as he can. And so just, just hang in there. God still has a plan. I want to read one story. Can I do that real quick? Can I just read one story to you? This is just from one of our camp counselors about a student named Nate. We asked permission to be able to share this. I want to read this to you. <laughs> so far, I have not been able to read this without crying. <laughs> Day one. Nate first arrived to camp extremely closed off. He put his headphones in and ignored everyone. He was upset that he was there, and he was resistant with leaders and tribe members. That's their, their small groups when encouraged to join in events. Then that night during small group, he finally gave in to joining and was brave enough to open up and share his story for why he doesn't believe in God. After sharing that he was an atheist and only believed in science, he still received a genuine love from his team in the cabin and wasn't judged. He told us he loved that we were not shoving the gospel at him, but instead were accepting him, accepting towards him and still loving him for him. It knocked down some walls that, all, that allowed him to open up more to his peers, but more importantly, to what God wanted to show him. Day two. Without telling anyone, he decided to give God a chance at service that night. When we got into the tribe time, small groups, he told us that he prayed for his first time and he began to tear up. He wanted to experience the comfort and kindness that, he, that we displayed and the love that we had for one another. So he took it a step further by praying. Keep in mind, every night after the jokes and laughs were done, these high school students didn't go to sleep until they told each other they loved each other. When he shared that amazing step with the group, we all cheered, encouraged him, and prayed over him. Deep talks were had and tears were shed and hugs were embraced. Day three. The next morning during the service, he was spotted with his hands up in worship. Here's an image. Someone captured it. He was almost there. The Holy Spirit was moving. When service started, he was completely engaged. And when the opportunity to give your life to Christ was given, he stood up in boldness. Our whole group stood up and cheered and hugged him, which was amazing. The best part, <laughs> sorry, man. 
The best part was his sister, who was an intern, heard about this during lunch and burst into tears. She ran around the cafeteria looking for him. When she found him, they hugged each other tight and cried. So did I. It was the most fulfilling moment. Here's a picture of his sister finding him in line at lunch. Day four. Nate was now telling an unbeliever how much Jesus loves him too and prayed for him. And that is why we do this. This is why I find a passion in ministry for all the Nates in the world who don't know Christ. This brings me joy, more joy than anything else in the world has to offer me. It gives me the sense that the Holy Spirit that I never want to be without and to see lives being transformed in front of me because God used me, gives me a purpose here on earth. God is so good. And one more update. Here's Nate being baptized at camp. God is moving in a powerful way. I can hardly get through that. And my answer to that is Satan, bring it on. God's bigger. God's bigger. Last part of Acts chapter 27, Paul says this. He says, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Is that you today? Is all hope gone for you? Do you feel like it's done? My marriage is over. It's done. I just, my kid's never going to turn around. This, this, this cancer is going to take me. I can't be healed. I can't be turned around. My finances never turn around. God just isn't there. Are you just, are you just losing hope? What do you do when you feel like you've lost all hope and you don't know what to do? Paul says, don't give up. And here's what he did to not give up. You may say, okay, that sounds great, pastor, but how do I not give up? How do you do that? I want to give you some simple principles today on how you cannot give up in whatever you are facing today. Look what happens in scripture. Acts chapter 27, Paul is now on a ship. It's been weeks that they have been tossed and turning on the ship. They're, they're literally thinking they're going to drown. They're throwing all the cargo overboard. I mean, it is going terribly wrong. And so look what Paul says. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. I love that. He basically he said, I already warned you this would happen, and you, you did anyways, and now we've experienced losses. Let me ask you something. Has God warned you about something, and now you're experiencing losses because you ignored it? Did God tell you something months ago or even years ago? You ignored it, and now you've got all these losses piling up. It's easy for us to shake our fist, God, and say, God, why'd you do this? And God's like, why did I do this? I warned you of this, and you did it anyways. And now you're experiencing losses and shaking your fist at me? You've got to be careful sometimes we blame God for things that, that we did, Right? And so that's what's going on here. So verse 22, he says this, but take courage. So he's not trying to insult him. He's saying, but it's okay. I, I know we've experienced losses, but look, take courage. Then he says this. He says, none of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. So he's like, it's going to go bad. I'm not going to lie. The ship's going to go down, but we'll be okay. I think God wanted me to bring you that message. Today. Maybe things are going bad at work and it may not turn around, but God says, I still got you. And so I just want to encourage you. Something may really come apart, but God still got you. The divorce may happen. But God says, I still love you and I'm with you. I still have a life for you. Your, your child may continue to, to make wrong decisions, but I'm still with you. You know, the economy may not turn around anytime soon, but God's got you. You know, you can just decide, I'm not gonna participate in this economy because I'm a part of another kingdom. I'm a part of God's kingdom and he's got me. Yes. Does that make sense? He says, or take courage, none of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. 
What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. He says, hey, this is, this is going to happen. We're, the ship's going to go down, but we're going to be okay, God told me. Why does he know he's going to be okay? Because he says, hey, God reminded me of the promise that I would stand before Caesar in Rome. That's not possible if I die now. So I know I'm not going to die. Well, you know what's great about God giving you a vision for your future? Is it means you got to survive to get to it. So that means that you're not going to die. God's got you. You're going to be okay. He's going to get you there. When God gives you a vision, an expected promise of where you're going to end up, you know that God will deliver you. And so, by the way, the angel did not tell Paul the vision. He already had that from God. The angel reminded him of it. In fact, here's where God spoke to Paul was Acts chapter 23 when he said this. He said, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So he held on to that. A couple of things I want to point out here is that he said, uh, for last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong. Why was, he, why was he saying it like that in that language? It's because the people in Greece, those would be the sailors that were taking him to Rome. Uh, the people in Greece, they have what's called the Pantheon. Pan means many. Theon means God. They believed in many gods. So they didn't have like a church for like, they didn't have like the Baptist church, a Catholic church, a Mormon church. They didn't do it that way. They were like, here's your one church. Come pick your God. It was like cafeteria church, which is pretty jacked up because it, it creates a big mess. Like just basically what they're saying was just be sincere. Believe whatever you want. You believe in the God of your, your tennis shoes. Great. Worship the God of your tennis shoes. You believe in the, God, the sun God, the moon God, the, the cow God, the milk God, whatever you want to believe. And so that's what they did which was just a big mess. And so he was real specific. He said, no, the God whom I serve, not all these gods you're talking about. So when I use the word God, I'm talking about the God of Abraham, of Isaac, the God who sent his son, Jesus, that God. And I want to point that out because I think in today's world, people are all cool with you saying, I have faith and I believe in God. But when you start mentioning Jesus, it's incredible how offensive that gets to people. But I want to tell you right now, Jesus said, I am the way and the life and the truth. No one gets the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I want to be real clear here. He is the answer. You say, but I'm sincere in my other faith. Well, then you're sincerely wrong. Jesus is the answer. And so I don't mean that to be, you know, offensive. People say, oh, that's so offensive. I always think it's funny to get all upset that Christians are so offensive. They think they're the only ones going to heaven. Well, what do you think of their other religion teachers? It's the same thing. And so examine the facts. The difference is that our faith is real because our Savior rose again. And no other faith has that. That's what's unique about our faith. So, Okay. So he says, hey, you know what? God already told me I'm going to make it to Rome, guys. We're not going to drown. And he also told me we're all going to make it together. So you're going to be okay. So, so be calm. You know something else that's really cool? For him to have this vision and this dream, he had to be asleep. So that means while all the other guys are up, the professional sailors are up all night panicking, scared to death, unloading all the cargo, being tossed and turned, Paul is asleep. That reminds you of another time when all the disciples were panicking and Jesus was asleep on the boat. And then Jesus spoke to the storm and it calmed, right? Which means this, it means this. It means we should stay calm in the middle of a crisis because God's with us. If you can't sleep through it, you can't speak to it. So we can stay calm and sleep peacefully. When things are going wrong, people say, oh, are you okay, pastor? And honestly, I can normally say, yeah, I'm fine. Why? God's with us, we're good, we're fine. So I just want to encourage you to, even when things are panicked, get a good night's sleep. Trust the Lord. Sometimes when I'm panicked or upset at night, I'll lay down and I just say this out loud. I say, God, 
you know what? Your word tells me you never sleep or slumber. So here's what, what I'm going to do, do, Lord. I'm going to lay down and go to sleep. I'm going to let you stay up all night and worry about this. And I'm going to go to sleep. And oftentimes I wake up the next morning and the Lord will give me a new idea, a new fresh insight, and I feel so much better and I can attack the day. I want to encourage you, get rest. Get some sleep. Put the phone away. Don't sleep with your phone. Put it up. If you're going to have anything you take to bed with you, take the word. Read a Proverbs and lay down peacefully and sleep. If you're that nervous and upset, grab your Bible, sleep with it. I'm serious. And just say, God, I ask you right now to run off any demon in this room. Get rid of them. I want all evil out of my house in Jesus' name. Make sure you add in Jesus' name. And then you sleep peacefully. I didn't add that to any of the sermon, but I felt led to do that. Someone's not having a good sleep. And I want to tell you, with God, you can sleep in peace because he's got you. You are going to be just fine. Listen to me. Look at me. You're going to be just fine. I want to give you some peace today. God knew what was going on in your life. He knew the problem was coming. He's aware of it. He's not panicked. He's not up in heaven going, I didn't see this coming. He knew. He's got you. Rest peacefully with your Lord. You're going to be okay. Someone needs to give God a hand clap because he's given you a promise. Number one, in the middle of your storm, claim a promise. Claim a promise of God. My promise is Acts 13, 36. God gave me this 23 years ago before he planted this church. He's told me through, through the life of David, David's scripture is this. It says, David served the purpose of God in his generation before he died. Then he died. Acts 13, 36 says that. That's a verse that God gave me. And so when I'm panicked or when I'm upset or I don't know what to do or something happens, I'll just say, you know what, Lord? You told me we're going to have a church that impacts the next generation, so we're going to be just fine. And I claim that promise right now. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you have a health issue. Find a verse that speaks life over you and not death. And say, you know, the Bible says, I, I will give you life, not death. Claim that verse and say, Lord, I know you're going to heal me. You know, maybe for you it's a marriage problem. Just say, God, I thank you, Lord, that when the two become one, no man can separate that. Find the scripture on that in Ephesians and say, Lord, I claim that over my marriage. I'm going to be just fine. We're going to be together. We're going to pull through this. And so you find a verse. Those are promises of God waiting for you to stand on them. And so the reason you can be okay through difficult times is because God gave you his promise, and God is not a liar. He keeps his word. So claim a promise. The second thing to do, number two, encourage others with your promise. That's what Paul does here. He shares, hey, we're going to be okay, guys, because God gave me a promise. And so encourage others with your promise as well. It says next, it says that just as the day was dawning, this is another day of storms. So notice that God has a promise he gave Paul, but the storm continued. So what does that mean? God wants to turn you around on the inside before he turns around their things on the outside. So before your circumstances change, you got to change. So God turns us around on the inside. See, that's what leadership looks like, is when everyone else is panicked at work, you're calm. We got this. Let's figure out what to do. When everyone's panicked in your family, you're calm. We got this. Does that make sense? So I just encourage you, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. We had a little mini crisis before service earlier today. I said, here's what we're going to do. And I just explained what we're going to do. And we did it. And everything went fine. We're fine. We're having church right now. Make sense? So you can trust the Lord. So do you have any little panic situations happen in your life, in your family, at work? You should be the calming influence to say, God, I know you were going to be okay. Let's figure this out and let's move forward. Make sense? So I just want to encourage you today, just stay on the path that God has given you. Encourage others with your promise too. He said this, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't, been haven't touched food for two weeks. He said, please eat something now for your own good. For not a hair of your heads will perish. That's good because I don't have a lot of hair left, so I really need all my hair to not perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us 
who were on board. And so encourage others with the promise of God that he will take care of you. You're going to be okay. So you know what? Eat some food. What's he saying? Get some sleep. Eat some food. We're going to be okay. And so I want to encourage you in the same way. Now, here's what happens next. When morning dawned another day, they saw a bay with a beach and worried if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. They're like, maybe we can just run for it. The, st- the storm is so bad, they can see this way off in the distance. It's miles away. They're like, maybe we could just, just basically get the, tr- get the ship moving really fast and just crash in as close as we can, right? And then just unload and swim for it. I mean, that's how desperate they are at this point, right? They're thinking they're going to die if they don't do something desperate. So what do they do? So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The ship began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out the plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump up overboard and first, uh, first and make for land. The others held on to planks and debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. So no one died. Now, let me explain this. So they're like, let's, let's just get the ship going direction as fast as we can. We'll crash in the direction of the island and we can all unload and try to make it. I mean, that's how desperate they are. Like, they're literally trying to crash the ship. So you can imagine how bad the storm must be. They're like, either we're going to break apart out in the ocean or we can break apart closer to shore and, and swim for it. So that's what they decided. One of the officers on board said, hey, we need to kill all the prisoners because there's a rule in Rome. The rule is if someone, if you're a prison guard and someone escapes on your watch, you have to give your life for them. So they're like, none of us want to die for some prisoner, you know, so that's not fair to us. So let's just kill them all. And according to Roman law, they could do that legally. They're like, we had no choice. We had to kill them. Okay, we understand. Like, it would have been forgiven. And so you're like, let's just kill them because 276 prisoners, someone's going to escape. Someone's bound to escape out of that many people. And then one of us will have to die. I don't want to die for this guy. Think about the picture that it is of Christ because remember Christ, uh, they, they let Barabbas go. Remember, he was a prisoner who deserved to die and, and Christ died instead. Isn't that amazing? Even this story is a picture of Christ. He's like, well, I will give my life for you, right? And so Paul was one of the prisoners and he had saved the officers by saying, hey, just hang in there, stay together. Stay together, we're gonna be okay, we're gonna make it. So they trusted in what Paul said, so they stayed the course and so their lives were survive, had survived because of Paul said, because they were gonna jump overboard and he said, don't do that. God's with us, God's with the ship, stay with us. So they did, so their life was spared. They probably would have died in the storm in the lifeboat otherwise. So the, the head officer said, no, let's not kill the prisoners because we'd have to kill Paul too, and that's not fair to him. So because of Paul's presence, all the officers lived and all the prisoners lived. Your very presence as a follower of Christ means that your company is going to be spared, means that your family will be spared. You, say, man, you may say, you know what, things are unraveling in our nation. I know people say this right now. They say our, our nation is coming apart. America is falling apart, it seems like. A lot of people really truly, feel, truly believe that, and I understand There's a lot of telltale signs that don't look good. But here's why I think we're going to be okay. You and I are still here in this nation. We are what you call a remnant. And so God will continue to bless this nation because we're still here. You hear my heart? We're going to be okay. You may say, my spouse is not honoring God. My kids are not honoring God. God's still in your family. Why? Because you're trying to bless and honor God. And so if you're still trying to serve the Lord, then God will bring protection over your whole family. Joseph, his whole household was blessed. Potiphar's household was blessed just because Joseph was living there. No one else even believed in the God that Joseph believed in, but the whole household was blessed. Why? Joseph was there. Your very presence. And so Paul was such a leader that he ended up literally saving the whole ship. All 276 people survived this incredible crash because of Paul's leadership. 
And I just want to talk to the leaders in the room for a second, just to those who are leaders at all of our campuses, those watching online. Use your leadership gift to save the masses. How do you know if you're a leader? Well, for one, you're probably already being blessed because you are a leader. You're probably in the upper echelons of the military. You're probably making more money than anyone else in your company. You're probably the top salesperson. You're probably leading in administration and education. You're one of the leaders. In other words, people look to you. And so when God gives you more influence and more affluence, use your influence and your affluence to save others. That's what Paul did. And so I think it's great that you have a big fat house and nice cars and go on big vacations. Please do all that in, in spades. Just make sure you do something for God too. Just make sure you're using a portion of the way God's given you that leadership gift to save the masses. Does that make sense? And so God has given us leadership, and it's great that you can bless your family and your future and your career with it. But remember, God gave you the ability to have more than you need so you can reach and save the masses. So Paul, your leadership is not just to save your own butt, it's to save everyone around you too, man. And so thank you, Paul, for showing us how to use your leadership. Notice, by the way, he used his leadership while he was still behind bars. Hey, God behind bars, you're still a leader. You don't have to, you don't have to get out of prison to be a leader. You can lead that whole prison cell. You're still a leader. You don't need a title to be a leader. Just begin to lead yourself and lead those you have influence with, and you're a leader. You say, well, I mean, I'm just a kid. I don't have any. Do you have a little brother, a little sister? Oh, you're a leader. What you do, they will do. You get into mischief, they'll follow you into it. You get into God, they'll follow you into that. My sister is five years older than me. One of the biggest reasons I wanted to live for God is I saw her live for God. And I remember as a little 10-year-old kid looking at my sister when she's 15, falling in love with Jesus, and I said, I, I want to I be like her. I want to be just like her. And I, and, and I really, in many ways, am just like her. And if you know my sister, you know that she's a godly woman. But I will tell you, I literally, she led me. She didn't realize she was doing it, but she led me. You are a leader. Use your influence to reach other people, to make an impact, to make a difference. Just by living your life following and staying faithful to God when everything's falling apart. You know what? Your greatest sermon is when everything's falling apart, when you stay the course. When you stay faithful to God, the greatest sermon you'll ever not preach is just living right when everything else is falling apart. Don't give up. This is your greatest moment. Your mess is a message. Your test is a testimony. God's using this. I promise you, whatever you're facing, don't quit. Now look what happens next. They finally get to shore. You're like, huh, Whew, we're here. We're safe. All is good, right? And then what, isn't this always the way it works? That right when you think everything's done, bam, the devil hits you again. How many guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, right about the time when I think all is good, then something else happens. Look what happens. Check it out. They're on an island. Islands are pretty. These are nice places to live. Like, oh, this is beautiful. Can't we just sit here and soak up the sunset? You know, can't, can't you just, someone give me a pina colada. Let's take it easy. This is great, right? Someone start playing some Jimmy Buffett in the background. Let's do this, you know, and and they think, oh, finally, the storm's over. And, right, well, actually, the storm continued even while they're on the island. But they, they had people being kind to them. They thought, oh, we're good now. Everything's going to be fine. We're all safe. Look what happens. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. you got to be kidding me. I mean, I, like, it goes from worse to worse, right? It goes from bad to worse. This, this is unbelievable. Now, look what happens. The people on the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. So again, let me go back to the way people from Greece were. They believe in all these different crazy gods that they were very superstitious. This is kind of the equivalent 
of the, not everyone's this way, but like the handful of people like in New Orleans that believe in everything spiritual and crazy and all that kind of stuff. They're like, oh, something bad happened to you. That means all the gods are against you. I mean, it's just, but that's how people believe. It's kind of nuts, but people believe that, oh, you got bit on the hand by a snake. God, the gods must be against you. The God of the tennis shoe I worship or whatever, you know? And so he's like, you, you're kidding me. Like I took this bite. He took a bite. He took it publicly. It said that the snake was still hanging off his hand. That must have been really painful, right? Like you gotta be kidding me, right? And so look what happens. They, the people on the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. You know who's called a snake in the Bible? The devil. Here's what you do. When something comes at you and it's public, shake it off. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. Have you ever wondered like, okay, God, it's bad enough that this happened to me, but why did this have to go public? You ever had something like that happen to you? Like, I mean, it's bad enough that I'm having issues in my marriage and why do my kids have to hear us fight? It's bad enough that the boss is mad at me, but he screamed at me in front of all the employees. It's bad enough that, you know, I've got some problems going on, but then someone decided to do a Facebook post on me. Right? You ever had something like that? Where it's public and you're like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. Why? Why, God, did you let that happen? Right? It's bad enough you got bit by a snake, but, but in front of everyone? So they began to question him. It says the people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he was, wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a God. Isn't that amazing? Like, you're a murderer. You're horrible. You deserve to die. Oh, wait, no, you're a God. It's like, wrong on both counts. I think it's interesting here. Why does this happen? So when you were wounded publicly, this is so you can show your faithfulness in public. So when you get wounded publicly, it's just you can be faithful in public. When you're, listen, when you have a wound privately and you're going through something difficult and no one you know about, it, it's an opportunity for you to be faithful to God when no one else knows. And when you get wounded publicly and something happens and it's a big thing, when you're just faithful in public, everyone knows. But just stay, stay faithful. I love how it says they waited for him to die. Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> I've been in the same town for 23 years. There's people still waiting for me to go down. <laughs> Ain't going to happen because I'm going to stay faithful to God and we're going to be just fine. <laughs> Make sense? There's always going to be haters. I bet you got some. There's probably someone just waiting for your marriage to end. They're just waiting on it, right? Maybe you're like, you know, I'm on my second marriage. My, my, my first spouse is just waiting for our marriage to end, right? Maybe you're like, man, I got, I got a former boss that let me go and I'm at this new job and they're just waiting for this to fold. They're just, there's always a hater just waiting for your life to fall. They're, they're just hoping of all hopes that your life will fall apart and things don't go well. You just stay faithful to God anyways because what they think of you is none of your business. You stay faithful to God. Let me also say this. When people talk bad about me, I don't worry about it. When people talk good about me, I also don't worry about it. When people say, oh, that Bill Cornelius, he's this and that. When someone says about you, this and that. Who cares what they think? At the same time, when someone says, oh, he or she's the greatest, they're unbelievable. Don't listen to that either. <laughs> also not true. I appreciate you thinking I'm all that, but I know myself. I'm not all that. <laughs> Does that make sense? You need to believe what God says about you and not what people say about you. <laughs> Just trust in the Lord. When you're wounded publicly, it's an opportunity to be faithful in public. Last couple of scriptures I want to read here. Near the shore where he, we landed, as in, there was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laid hands on him, and he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. What does this mean Paul did? Paul didn't get to Rome yet. That's where, he, where his goal was. He said, I want to go to Rome. I know God told me I'm going to Rome. 
He was detoured big time. But you know what Paul did? He didn't go throw a pity party. He didn't sit on the, on the, uh, on the you know, by the ashes of the fire where he was bit by a snake and go, really, God, really? He didn't do that. He said, hmm, this happened, shook it off. Okay, God, what do you have for me? Oh, there's someone sick here? Let me go pray for him. You know what that means you did? This is really important. What do you do when things are falling apart? Here's what you do. Wherever you land, look for opportunity to minister. No matter where you are. You know what Paul didn't do? He didn't say, I'm called to preach before Rome. I'm not going to give my time to these, these peasants over here. I'm not going to preach in front of three people. I need 3,000. He didn't do that. He said, God called me to preach. Doesn't matter who it is. I'll, I'll pray for him. I, and, and I pray God heals him. If he heals him, great. If he doesn't, I'm still going to pray for him. And I'm going to preach. I'm going to be faithful where I'm at. And so we have to get over our ego and be faithful where you're at. You know what you do when you don't get the job you want? You be faithful in the job you got. Amen. You know what you do when things don't go, go your way? You be faithful with what you do have. Instead of, instead of counting your disasters, the Bible says count your blessings. Don't, it says, oh, magnify the Lord. Don't, oh, magnify that you got bit by the snake. Don't, oh, magnify your divorce. Oh, magnify your betrayal. Oh, magnify your problems. Oh, magnify your addiction. No, it says, oh, magnify the Lord. And so I want to encourage you instead, say, God, I'm going to focus on you and what you have given me and be faithful with what I have today. It may not be what I thought I was going to have, but I'm going to thank you, God, that you gave me what you gave me and I'm going to do what I can with what you gave me. That's what we're called to do. You say, Pastor, that sounds great, but I'm not like in the ministry. I mean, I'm in a job that I don't want. So how do I minister there? Let me tell you another word for ministry, add value. You say, add value. You say, well, I'm not in the job I want. Add value at the job you're at. You say, my marriage, I'm trying to turn around. I've been talking to my spouse and they're not interested in turning things around. I don't know what to do. You know, maybe you need to quit talking. Maybe it's time to start adding value to them. So you're going to do, I'm not going to go try to confront them and have a talk. I'm just going to clean the house. I'm just going to make dinner and do the dishes afterwards. I'm just going to help them out. I'm just going to add value to their life. You know, if you'll do that, God will use that greatly. You know, one thing that we've done as a church I'm really proud of is that when crisis hits our cities, we just add value. We just say, how can we help? And so sometimes you preach the gospel with your words. Sometimes you preach the gospels with your feet, with your hands, by helping others. Either way, just add value. Where is it that you feel stuck and don't know what to do? And God's saying, simply love people. Simply add value value to their lives. Simply help out. If you'll do that, God will use you in a powerful way, I promise you. And so what was the result of this? It says in verse 10, as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. You know what happens when the church adds value? People want to support it. I've just figured this out that I don't really have to come across and just ask you guys for money all the time. If I'll just do ministry, you'll see and want to support it. And so I just, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're watching on YouTube right now uh, and you go to another church. I'm not asking you to give to our church. I'm asking you to give to the church that adds value to you. So if there's a place that's changed your life, that should be where you bring your tithe. And so in the, if this place has done that, praise God, there's an opportunity to add value. In fact, many of you added value. You said, you know what? I, I didn't get to go to camp as a kid. So I want to make sure another kid gets to go to camp because I want them to have what I didn't have. So many of you gave, you sowed into the ministry last week. And because of that, 237 kids got saved. Because you added value. And what's going to be really cool is about 10 years from now, all those kids are going to be adults and they will do what? They will say, I remember how God changed my life. And I'm now going to sponsor another child that I want to go to camp. Make sense? We now have, I've been doing this long enough in the same church, that we now have students, we have, we have adult leaders that were students that now go back to camp and add value to the students' lives. Where has God changed your life? Support it. 
That's all we're asking. Just, just support it. If God didn't change your life here, don't give it done. But if God has, would you support that? Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. What are you going through right now? Is God speaking to you? Maybe you're in a big mess, and on top of that, I get bit in public. you got to be kidding me. Can't it get worse? Boom, it just did. Guess what? God is still with you. He's still on the throne. It may seem chaotic in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your faith, in your health, but God is faithful. Maybe today your prayer is to lift your hand high and say, God, I just trust you. Lord, I know I'm in the storm, but I trusted you. Maybe you just need to lift your hand high to God today and say, God, I trust you. I trust you to all of our campuses. Just lift that hand high and say, God, I trust you. I don't know why I'm going through this detour. I don't know why I'm in this legal battle. I don't know why this is happening in my family. I don't know why I'm being falsely accused, but I trust you. Just lift your hand high. I trust you, God. I know you've got me. I may have cancer, but cancer does not have me. Lord, I may have this addiction, but this addiction will not get the best of me. Jesus will get the best of me. I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you. I trust my marriage in your hands. I trust my kids in your hands. I trust my health in your hands. I trust my finances in your hands. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And even if the devil bites me one last time, I will shake it off and I will trust in you. And you, Lord, will prevail in my life. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you've never given your life to Christ, you've never made him your Lord and your Savior, you can pray and receive Christ right now. I'm praying a very simple prayer. Pray this prayer with me out loud. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose again. Please come in my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand high? If you just gave your life to Christ, lift your hand high. There are hands going up all across our campuses right now. Thank you. We see those hands at Rodfield. We see those hands in Stone Oak. Thank you, Padre Island. Thank you, Rockport. Thank you. Praise God. We see those hands online. Online right now, you can just simply click in the text and chat. You just have my hands raised. You can simply click at churchunlimited.com, hand raised. Just let us know. If you're giving your life to Christ, just hold your hand high. Praise God. You're not alone. There's hands all across our campuses, all across online right now. Thank you for giving your life to Jesus. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Hold that hand high. Praise God. We see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Entire families. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Couples, individuals, young and old. Thank you. Thank you. We praise God for your decision to give your life to Christ. Everything changes because you just gave your life to Christ. Lord, thank you, God, for those who just received you. Thank you, God, for those earlier who already have you in their heart, but they're trusting in you in the middle of a storm, that you are the God of our storm. And tonight, Lord, we will sleep peacefully because we know you have us and we claim your promises over our lives. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.